And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to this Monday edition of, well, it's The Real Investment Show, of course. And, uh, you know, if you're joining, you probably know that this is the show, right? I mean, that's why we're here. Um, this is going to be a holiday shortened week, of course. Uh, I don't know why they call it Good Friday, except for the fact it's always good when it's a Friday. So, but And you're off. <laughs> and you're off. That's right. It is a holiday on Friday, so we do have a holiday shortened week. Of course, Easter this week. And, and don't start sending me emails. I do know why it's called Good Friday. I'm just, I'm just joking. So <laughs> it's like everybody all fired up this morning. I was at church on Sunday. We're good. <laughs> so, <laughs> Anyway, you uh, heathen. I know, right? <laughs> it just didn't come out the way I meant. It yeah, so yeah. You get the idea. Anyway, it's Friday. It's good. It's a good Friday. Every Friday is good. The Lord knew what you meant. Exactly. So anyway, um, it's going to be a holiday short week, which means a little bit of light trading this week. There's not a whole lot going on. There's there's no economic reports out to speak of today. There's really no earnings reports out today. Now, uh, we are about to go into earnings season. And this earnings season should be interesting because, look, estimates are still extremely high for uh, a lot of uh, companies really across the board and, and haven't really factored in the impact of higher salaries, higher wages, uh, higher in input costs in particular, as those have, are going to start impacting profit margins. So we'll be watching that here as we start to get into earnings season. But again, um, what will be interesting for earnings season is not just what companies say, but it's going to be what they forecast, right? What do they say for the rest of this year? What does the impact of inflation and these type of things look like going further into this year? And that's going to be the real question. And again, we just don't know the answer to those things just yet, but we're about to get a good good kind of look at that. Now, as, uh, of course, with that, we also have the Fed now tightening uh, policy. And of course, in May is where we're supposed to get the first real kind of shot across the bow of terms of quantitative tightening. They just talked about last week, $95 billion a month. That's a fairly big drawdown uh, potentially, and we'll see how that impacts their balance sheet. But that's less liquidity to support financial markets, banks, those type of things, lending activity. At the same time, you have very high interest rates now. And you know when you're talking about uh, you know mortgage rates now approaching 5%, that's been, you know, quite some time since we've been at that level. And, and again, just, you know, we don't have to go back far in history to, to talk about the last time that we were at two and a half and three percent on 10 year Treasury rates. Um, it didn't last long before we were kind of in the next you know, bit of trouble in the economy. And that's because we're such a heavy, heavily leveraged economy. One thing everybody's watching right now, of course, is housing. And, you know, that's been, you know, one of those things that's just been on fire lately. We talked about, you know, the housing sales around the country and people lining up down the street, you know, to, to put a bid on the house they haven't even seen yet, that type of stuff. That's going to end fairly quickly. Refi activity, of course, is going to go away. That'll be completely dead. Nobody, you know, I mean, you're not going to refinance your house at a higher rate. That doesn't make any sense. Um, well, there's probably always somebody, but, <laughs> you know, in most cases, you're not going to refi your house at a higher rate. So there is an impact coming to the housing market. And as we start to see these impacts filter in, this is gonna tell us a lot more about where the economy is gonna go. And then of course, ultimately, 
where markets are going to head to. There, you know, there's certainly some challenges here. Does that mean necessarily that we're going to have a bigger correction in the markets? No, that, that doesn't. Um, you know, it's very interesting. If you take a look at what's happened in the markets just over the last really eight, nine months. And this this really started, this didn't, this this correction, you know, that we've been talking about here, um, you know, for the last, you know, couple of months now is not something that just started in, in January. This has actually been going on further than this. And we have to go back earlier this year, but talking about stocks below the surface, you know, if you get below those top 10 stocks, the Apples, the Microsofts, those type of things, you know, there's been a lot of devastation. And in fact, if you take a look at the kind of the major indices and, and strip out those top 10, 20 stocks that are kind of market cap weight in those industries, whether it's a Russell 1000, 3000, doesn't matter, S&P, NASDAQ, there's been a very large drawdown in those indices X, those top 10 holdings. And in fact, if you look at some of those drawdowns, and I actually had this in our Twitter feed today. So if you go to Atlantis Roberts on Twitter, I have a chart out of this this morning from Morgan Stanley. If you take a look at that drawdown below that surface, we've been in a major bear market. You would be talking about, wow, this looks a lot like 2008 because we've got a lot of companies that are down 30, 40, 50, 60%, sometimes 70. And a lot of those companies have been devastated here over the course of the last eight months. So, you know, and, and that's the problem with, with passive indexing and ETFs they continue to kind of feed into as you're buying spiders as an example the, the s p 500 etf as you buy that etf it basically is buying into apple microsoft google and those big mega cap companies are supporting the overall index but yet below the surface these companies that don't have near the weighting are getting absolutely slaughtered but it's not changing much in terms of the actual index so as we take a look at this market we go wow you know, we've just been in a correction here, and despite all this really bad news we've got going on, we've got war in the Ukraine, we've got the Fed hiking rates, we've got a potential recession on the rise, we've got surging inflation, markets really aren't doing a whole lot. They're just kind of consolidating here, and have really been kind of in exactly the same place now for really about six months. I mean, we have to go back to September of last year, and we're pretty much at the same level that we were in September of last year. So despite when you take a look at kind of the market action, you go, wow, this has been a terrible year. Read the headlines. Worst start to a year ever, right? It's just, you know, these are the headlines that come out. But keeping this in perspective is that markets just really haven't gone anywhere. And this is after, of course, we had a phenomenal run. And of course, you know, the, the market returned nearly 26%, 27% last year. So you had this huge run up in the markets last year. You've had a bit of sloppiness this year and everybody's bearish. Right? I mean, it's like, this is just terrible, right? Markets suck, you know, it's no fun. And if you're below, uh, but it has been, it's, it's been an actual terrible market. If the bulk of your portfolio has been in areas of the market outside of those major indexes, it's been a tough year. And this is, and, and now the question becomes, do those bottom stocks begin to start getting some buying and start bringing the index back up? And this is where everybody's going to shake their head and go, how are we having a bull market now? We're in the middle of a terrible economy. That's going to be the question is whether or not now the money starts to flow into these bigger stocks. I'm not saying that's the case, but there's a, there's a reasonable argument to be made that the bear market has already happened. You just didn't see it. 
because it was occurring below the surface. Now we got some things to go into this morning. One thing is, is that when the markets and everybody on television is talking about something, it, tend not, it tends not to happen because the market prices it in. If everybody's talking about an event occurring in the market, it tends not to happen because all of that talk, all of the positioning, all of the wrangling, the teeth gnashing, the markets begin to price in that negative negativity. So we've had a lot of conversation about the markets and where we're going to and what's happening and it's on headlines every day, but has the market already priced it in? We're gonna talk about that when we come back from the break, of course. You're listening to The Real Investment Show, so don't go away. Lots of stuff to get into this morning right here. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Be right back. daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com we're all impacted by the significance of the passage of time especially when it comes to signing up for medicare when should you enroll what's the best plan for you how will the significant passage of time adversely affect your medicare premium join richard rosso and danny ratliff for our next virtual lunch and learn on medicare avoiding pitfalls and permanent penalties thursday april 21st register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next free lunch and learn to avoid the pitfalls and permanent penalties of medicare realinvestmentadvice.com the real investment show and welcome back to the show this morning i'm real science roberts Bray clinton joining me as well of course uh driving our link challenge bus as always Beep, beep. And you're doing a good job of it this morning. Why, thank you. So, you know, we just, we, we kind of finished up the last segment talking about the fact that when everybody's talking about something, it tends not to happen because the markets price it in. And it doesn't mean that it won't eventually happen, but what I mean is that it can take longer than expected. And right now, everywhere you look, everybody's talking about a recession, right? Yield curve. Yield curve is warning there's a recession approaching, right? And we've talked about this on the show before. Be careful with that because of, of several things. One, it's not one yield curve that predicts a recession. It's actually multiples of yield curves that predict a recession. And you need both the short end of the curve and the long end of the curve inverted to really make this a, an issue. The second thing is, is that the inversion itself doesn't dictate a recession it's when the yields the yield curves uninvert that it becomes more problematic and and right now we track 10 yield curves and and when you get more than 50 percent of these 10 yield curves inverted then you are pretty much prepared for a recession right but even at that point once you get 50 percent of the curves inverted it can be six to nine months before the actual recession occurs and it'll be another six to nine months before the National Bureau of Economics Research actually announces it. 
So, you know, there's 18 months before somebody says, yep, officially you're in a recession nine months ago. Right. And that's that's the that's the problem for investors is by the time that you if you wait for the National Bureau of Economics Research to come out and say, hey, you're in a recession too late. It's already happened. In a lot of cases, the recession was over before it was even announced. But that takes some time. Right now, we only have 20% of the yield curves that we track inverted. So there's not a huge recession risk at the moment. Doesn't mean that those yield curves can't continue to spike up. And in fact, they will as the Fed begins to hike rates. You know, right now, it's the longer end of the curve that is predicting a recession. The short end of the curve is not. So the three months, the one years, the two years, they're not near inversion yet. Now, importantly about this is that the Federal Reserve, as they begin to hike rates, there's a very non-correlated history between the three-month T-bill and the Fed funds rate. As the Fed begins to hike rates, that three-month T-bill begins to fall. And that's what will eventually invert the 310 yield curve. And that's the one that, you know, really is probably the has the highest prediction rate of a recession is when the short end of the yield curve, the really short end of the yield curve, your money markets are basically yielding less than your longer term bonds. So again, this is all kind of setting up to tell to tell us at some point we will have a recession. But the problem is everybody's on television right now, media everywhere else going recession, 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 which means that you're not going to have one right now because the market will price it in. Markets are going to continue to kind of chug along here, kind of defy the odds, so to speak. So you'll be like, well, I don't understand why stocks are going up when there's clearly a recession coming. Yeah, there is. That's the way markets work. When everybody, then what you're looking for are two things. One, when 50% of the yield curves that we track are inverted, that's your first really good sign. Again, we're at 20%, so nothing to worry about just yet. The second thing you're really looking for is for the, for the headlines and the commentary to shift from, oh my gosh, there's a recession coming, to, see, I told you this time was different. This time is different because of A, B, or C, and the yield curve is wrong this time. It won't be. It won't be wrong. But what you need is eventually for the markets to rally here a bit and to kind of pull the bulls back into the limelight and be convinced that this time is different. That's what sets the markets up for a recessionary correction. So again, if you're betting on one to happen today, right now, this minute, you're going to probably be disappointed. Doesn't mean it can't happen. But the odds are and how things actually work financially, the odds are fairly high that we're not about to have a recessionary correction right now this minute. Now, can the market slop around here for a while longer? Absolutely. There's enough pressure on markets in terms of liquidity, higher interest rates, you know, worries about profit margins, those type of things. And again, going into earnings season, there's certainly some risk here in earnings season and not particularly from what companies report, but more about what their outlook is. That's going to potentially weigh on markets.
so again, not, nothing to be overly concerned about at all. And again, nothing that says you should go hide in cash and just kind of wait for all this to be over. All I'm saying is, is that when everybody's talking about it, it generally doesn't happen. It's kind of like watching a pot boil, right? The old, the old saying, if you stand there and watch a, watch a, a pot boil, it won't boil. And as soon as you look away, it just starts boiling. That's kind of the idea. And Yahoo Finance this morning, they actually had, a, you know, the headline this morning. Suddenly, everyone is obsessed about a recession. And this is true, right? By sometime next, this is uh, from the article, by sometime next year, the U.S. economy may be limping around like Tiger Woods this past weekend at the Masters. He plays 47th. No, no, that's not bad. I mean, he hasn't played since 2019. He had COVID, then he had the car wreck, and this is his first kind of back on the green. And, you know, so shot a 78. So it was not his usual subpar, you know, outperformance, but not bad, having been out for two years. And, you know, he'll show up now maybe at other PGA Tours here soon. Be back on top. We'll see. Um, and just like watching last, uh, watching the legend shaky performance at the Masters, almost hard to believe we are sitting here pontificating on a recession. The unemployment rate is near. Now, I want, I want to read you a couple of these lines here but so we can discuss them. The unemployment rate is near record lows. Sub-30-year-olds have never felt more emboldened to change jobs five, uh, jobs five times in under three years to boost their LinkedIn uh, profile and send out the proverbial personal news tweet to their 100 followers. Corporate profit margins remain near record highs as employers suck out productivity. Yours truly, being uh, the, the author of this particular was turned away by four shops on Saturday for a paint job on his classic General Motors car. The common theme was, bro, we have too much business at the moment to pull bumpers off your car. Sorry, but not sorry. That was, you know, I, I shortened that from what the actual language is. Um so how can we be talking about a recession when everything's so great? That's the actual point. When everything, so if you're at a record level of anything, think about this for a second. Let's go back to the golf thing for a second, right? So person shoots a 60, uh, you know, a 61 on the golf course, right? Never been done before. Actually, let's just, he shoots an 18, <laughs> right? 18 holes, hole in one on every one. That's, that's the best you can do, right? You're never going to break that record, right? But let's say that, that the, the, you know, somebody shoots a 40, right? Let's be really ridiculous here. Somebody shoots a 40 playing around a golf, right? Never been done before. Impossible, right? That's a record. So the problem with records are is that records are always the peak of the previous performance. Think about Usain Bolt for a second. You know, he was, you know, the, the sprint, if you don't know who Usain Bolt was, Olympic sprinter, world's fastest human, was. He set the record, right, for the 100-meter dash. And, and he was the fastest human alive until somebody ran a little faster. Okay, so that the point is is that records are always records until they get broken. 
Now, this is where it becomes kind of counterintuitive, but think about this for a second. So he takes his car to a shop and they say, bro, we have so much work going on right now. We just don't have time to paint your old car. That's the peak of the business cycle. Unemployment. Everybody's working. 3.8% unemployment, record low jobless claims. Those always occur at the peak of an economic business cycle, not at the beginning of an economic business cycle. So the point about this is that these are, these are things that denote that you have reached the top or the peak or the record of a business cycle. And that is normally where you get the next downturn because we can't hire any more people to work. Wages are rising. And as interest rates go up and inflation rises, those things begin to impact businesses. Businesses begin to take alternative actions, right? They begin to... Um, Take actions to protect profit margins. Uh, on Friday, Richard was talking about giving up his day job as a financial advisor and becoming a truck driver for Walmart for $110,000 a year. And he's like, wages are sticky. They're not sticky. Because those are the first guys that get fired when companies move to start reducing employment to protect profit margins. The next guy that eventually gets hired won't be hired at $110,000 a year. It'll be much lower after the next recession. But the point is, is not to mistake this idea is that everybody's talking about a recession. But how can we have a recession? Everything is so good, but that's actually the point to where you need to be looking at the next part of the cycle. We'll finish up on the conversation when we come back from the break. Don't go away. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. We're all impacted by the significance of the passage of time, especially when it comes to signing up for Medicare. When should you enroll? What's the best plan for you? How will the significant passage of time adversely affect your Medicare premiums? Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for our next virtual lunch and learn on Medicare, avoiding pitfalls and permanent penalties. Thursday, April 21st. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next free lunch and learn to avoid the pitfalls and permanent penalties of Medicare. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. So, you know, it's interesting, this particular track that you play. Yes. So I wear one earbud <laughs> so I can hear. Right, just yeah. so I can hear the kind of the feedback monitor. It's a radio thing. It's a radio thing. But that particular track, when it starts, on the left side is just the bass and the drum. Yes. So, <laughs> boom, 
Boom. So that's all I hear. I'm waiting for it to kick in so I know that the music's actually starting because <laughs> I'm only hearing one track or two tracks of, of whatever's going on. So. And if you're listening on an AM radio, it's all mono, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. But at least you hear both, both you know, all exactly. you know, 10 tracks or whatever yes. is, is made up of it. So. <laughs> Yeah, you should, now this will be you know it's always surprising me you know now that stuff's shifting more to digital mm-hmm. now you get the full you know high the high quality sound and you know high definition yeah. AM AM radios hanging in there like a rusty nail <laughs> just or a bad girlfriend just won't go away <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun it's theater of the mind exactly the, the YouTube, it's, it's it's something the whole to, the whole youtube thing just right. destroys the mystique it does you know i mean there, there was a thing yeah. i mean you know if, if you don't know this brent clanton is in texas radio hall of fame so he's you know well, that he's, a he's, dollar will get your coat downstairs it's, it's quite an accomplishment well thank you so should be recognized because on the radio i was tall dark and handsome well not that, so on youtube <laughs> Yeah, on YouTube, it's pretty much all yeah. out there. <laughs> so anyway, just for the break, talking a little bit about, um, um, you know, the economy. And, and when the economy's at a peak, right, this is the, the misnomer that people have. It's like, well, how could we have a recession? Everything's so good, right? Everybody's working. Everybody's doing this. Every Business is booming. That's exactly... The point is that something comes along that changes that psychology and, and very much like being at the peak of a hill, right? Then it's, it's the downhill slope where you pick up momentum. And this is kind of where we are within the business cycle. We've had this massive return. And again, don't forget that the economic recovery that we had, and, this, uh, and I find this interesting because you read a lot of these headlines and they go, we just created 40, 450,000 jobs at the last employment report. No, we didn't. We actually haven't created any new jobs. And if you, if you take a look at employment relative to pre-pandemic levels, we're just getting back to where we were. All we've been doing is hiring everybody back that we laid off during the pandemic. Right. So we haven't been creating new jobs, but at the same time, the population has been growing. So we're to get really back to to pandemic levels in terms of employment. We've got a lot more hiring to do. But this is this is the whole point is that the economy appears to be strong because we injected five trillion dollars worth of liquidity. We boosted consumption. We boosted employment. We boosted demand. And it looks like a big economic recovery but in reality a lot of it's really been kind of artificial in nature because of all that liquidity so now that that liquidity is reversing there's no more extended unemployment benefits no more child tax credits you know no more checks to households which i never got anyway but (laughs) now that's all gone and take a look at what's happening with credit card spending We've had huge increase in the amount of money being spent on credit cards. Makes complete sense. During the pandemic, I was getting $1,400 checks, so I went out and bought a bunch of stuff and maybe even paid off some credit card debt, which was awesome. Kind of freed up the household a little bit. But now the cost of living has gone up dramatically. You know, food, gas, electricity, everything else. 
and I don't have that extra cash. So it's not, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm buying more stuff, but just to buy what I need to survive and maintain my standard of living, that cost has gone up. And my wages aren't keeping up with inflation, which means in order to fill that gap, in order to put that difference together, I've got to either drain my savings, which personal savings rates have dropped back down to pre-pandemic levels. Disposable personal incomes are actually negative on a year-over-year rate of change. So I've got to, I've, I've got to resort to the one area where I've got some mobility, and that's, that's my credit cards. But those are rapidly starting to, to, to rise in terms of balances. And guess what else is happening because of what the Fed's doing? Interest rates are going up, which means the cost of the borrowed money is now costing me more as well. So as a consumer, I'm just getting hit at every single turn. And then Amazon turns around and raises their rate for free delivery. <laughs> so Netflix just raised their costs. So again, no matter where I turn, I'm getting hit by higher cost. But there's a lot of other indications in the economy that says that we're not as healthy as it may seem. We may look at unemployment and say, wow, the economy's really booming, but unemployment is a lagging indicator. It's also subject to really big negative revisions. And what that means is, is that once a year and then every three years, a lot of this economic data, GDP, employment, all this type of stuff, gets annual revisions, and then every three years we revise the data. And we go look back, and because by that time we have all the real data in, it's all been parsed and worked out. We got all, and we come back in and we do adjustments to it. But that data is subject to big negative revisions. We may find out in a year or in three years that the employment numbers we're looking at now, they weren't 400,000. It was negative 100,000. You know, I'm, not, I'm, I'm just making up numbers. But you can see really big revisions to this economic data when it gets revised in the future. So we're looking at lagging economic data that is subject to negative revisions and saying the economy's booming. But take a look at what's going on with freight. Take a look at what's happening with trans. Take a look at transportation stocks as a good example of this, Right. Transportation stocks have been getting monkey hammered. Freight is now, you know, if, if the, the CAS freight index, which is the amount of freight that's being transported by truck, is nearly negative. But interestingly enough, the expenditures, their cost for shipping that freight is continuing to rise. Going back to that story that Richard brought back up on Friday about Walmart paying $110,000 for truckers. My expenditures to, to, to truck freight, you got to be careful to get, not get those letters mixed up, <laughs> but those expenditures to truck freight have been going up. But now the cost of that is beginning to impact their profitability. And more importantly, the cost of the freight itself has reached the point that demand is beginning to fall. Now, that's more of a coincident indicator. And it's, much better, it's a much better look at the economy right now versus some of the lagging data. Even, you know, but you go, but Lance, the, uh, the auto shop that you were talking about, you know, they're so busy they can't even, you know, paint a car. 
that's a bit lagging as well. And the reason is, is that they've got a lot of backlog jobs, right? Right now, they're just so busy that I just can't take any more in at the moment. But when I work through that backlog, what is there? Do I, you know, they just, if you're turning away customers now, what happens when you do open up some space and there's no customers there to fill the next space? So business can turn south very quickly in the economy. And again, this is why records are records for a reason. Records of anything, records of the market, records of earnings, records of economic growth, whatever it is, that was where the previous peak of that cycle was last time. And then you had to go through the recession and then the recovery. So, you know, again, the point here is that right now everybody is obsessed about a recession. Everybody's talking about it everywhere, which means it's not going to happen today. It also means the market's going to price this in. And this is why a lot of times you'll hear stuff on the media saying, oh, don't worry about the inverted yield curve. Stocks always rally when the yield curve initially inverts. It's true because the markets are pricing this stuff in. They're like, oh, you know, it's inverted yield curve. It's different this time, whatever the reason is. It's not going to be different. You will have a recession. It's a function of time. And it's also a function that... In the meantime, you know, we need to manage money relative to the cycle that we're in. Because trying to predict when a recession is going to happen is very difficult to do. Now, there's some reasons to expect that we could have a recession a lot faster this time around. Now, normally when you get an inverted yield curve, you'll hear these statistics on, you know, you know, and by different people is like, well, you know, the average time by the time you get a yield curve to the recession has been, you know, 12 to 18 months, whatever it is. And that's true, except that we are running, you know, near 8% rates of inflation this time around. It's already impacting the consumer. The the artificial liquidity that was put in has now come out. So there's a there's a there's a a, a lack of liquidity in the markets for them to to continue to to support the economic cycle. Uh, the Fed's hiking rates. They're tightening their balance sheet. They're aggressively, you know, set to hike rates by 50 basis points over the next three meetings. That could certainly accelerate the pace to the next recession. I don't, but the problem is knowing when that's going to occur. So pay attention to what the markets are saying. And just pay attention and understand that a lot of the stuff you're seeing in the media is going to be inaccurate now and it's going to be inaccurate a little bit later when they start saying hey this time is different because see we're not in a recession yet as soon as you hear that that's when you start preparing for a recession be right back after the break Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. We're all impacted by the significance of the passage of time, especially when it comes to signing up for Medicare. When should you enroll? What's the best plan for you? How will the significant passage of time adversely affect your Medicare premiums? Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for our next virtual lunch and learn on Medicare, avoiding pitfalls and permanent penalties. Thursday, April 21st. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our 
our next free Lunch and Learn to avoid the pitfalls and permanent penalties of Medicare. RealInvestmentAdvice.com. The Real Investment Show. So welcome back to the show. Of course, it's uh, 6.47. So um, last night, my wife and I, my darling bride, my princess. Your queen. She's more of a princess, trust me. (laughs) (laughs) It's all good, though. Nothing wrong with it. Uh, We watched that uh, King Richard with Will Smith. Oh, yes. Yeah. Have you seen it? I have not. Uh, so it's the story about the, the father raising uh, Venus and Serena Williams. I had no idea he had like five kids. and But it was an interesting, you know, I, I've, I've kind of seen it. You know, it's been advertised and, and, and stuff. Of course, you know, that was what uh, Will Smith won the Oscar for after he slapped Chris Rock. Um, you know, by the way, he's been banned from the Academy Awards for 10 years. Yeah. How about that? Remember that? Of course, I haven't watched him in that long anyway. I, I don't think anybody else has, too. I, they, they should give him a check because they got the ratings up. I mean, that's right. They should be going, hey, Will, would you come slap somebody every year, right? Like, who are you going to slap next? Exactly. Uh, anyway, uh, it was just a very interesting story. And what was interesting about it was, and again, you, you know, I don't know, you know how true to reality that it was. You know, when they start doing the portrayals and stuff, they tend to exaggerate some things. But... It was pretty amazing the amount of conviction this guy had that, you know, Venus and Serena were going to be world champions in terms of tennis players. And he made some very strange decisions, didn't follow the normal path of getting them onto the pro circuit. Was But the most incredible thing was is the diligence that this guy had to get his daughters in front of the right people because here's this black family from Compton that didn't have access to you know the high dollar trainers the the high dollar facilities and all these type of things he taught you know him and his wife taught them how to play tennis and he would push and call and and force himself upon people to get his daughters in front of the right people and 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 did so and then made some very strange decisions along the way of course you know in the end it turns out that he was right and and pretty much everything that he predicted for his daughters came true but it's 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 not a bad movie but the 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 message though is that being convicted to something and this is the one thing that you know I try to instill upon my kids in in particular because they don't listen to me anyway, but I try, <laughs> is, you know, the two things, which is the value of the work ethic and never quitting. And that's really the, the two important ingredients for success at anything, which is, you know, if you want to be good at anything and if you want to be successful, you can't quit. And, you know, there were plenty of opportunities for Richard Williams to give up and just accept his, you know, accept his place in life. And he would have been a nobody. But he didn't. And and that and that's the the kind of you know things that 
we need to teach, you know, we need to do a better job of teaching our children growing up is this idea of never quitting in order to achieve something because life's tough, you know, it's not easy. And when you think about small businesses, as an example, 80, roughly 80%, statistics are, are pretty clear about this, roughly 80% of all small businesses fail. Why do they fail? Top three reasons. Lack of capital. So somebody starts a business with not enough capital, right? And just you, you can't survive long enough to, to get the business off the ground. Second reason is, is that they start the business and they try to take to, you know, they basically drain the liquidity out of the business. So in other words, they start the business and they immediately have to start paying themselves a salary because they've got to live, right? They've got to pay their bills at home, but the business isn't supporting it. So they ultimately run out of capital and fail. It's all about capital. Third reason, though, is, is that business is hard. And you open up your business and you stumble, you fall out of the blocks and you're, well, it wasn't meant to be and you quit. You know, some of the, the greatest people and, and you know, one thing I encourage, and again, this is very hard for people, is to find mentors, right? People that are, have, have done something that you want to achieve, whoever it is, and talk to them, right? Meet them, talk to them figured out what they did that made them successful. You know, for me, my mentor was Ed Hindi. Um, I met him on, you know, I started doing radio on KCV back in, you know, 2007, long time ago, hard to believe. But, you know, here was a guy who was very successful in business. I started picking his brain. How'd you do this? <laughs> right? You know, what was it? You know, and look, his, his pathway was not easy. It didn't just didn't wake up one morning and open up Taste of Texas, and there it was, right? I mean, a lot of challenges along the way, lots of hard times, lots of tough breaks, but you keep going. And that's really the lesson is that, you know, the, the, the biggest part of success is the ability to get knocked down and get back up again and keep going because there's always somebody that's going to knock you down or try. And the only way that you lose and the only way that you fail in business is not getting back up again. And this is, this is a very hard lesson to teach somebody because it's, it's a function of will in a lot of cases. You know, and, and you know, it's always interesting when you look at people like you know, Warren Buffett and others, you know, like, wow, this is amazing. This guy's made so much money. And he has. If you want to be the next Elon Musk, it'll only take you three million years to get there, right? To save your way to his level of wealth. But, you know, you take a look at most any real successful person and really dig into their backgrounds, you're going to find a lot of failure along the way. Most successful people have been bankrupt at least once if not more than once, before they finally, you know, made it. <laughs> There's an old saying that always says, like, you know, he was an overnight success. It only took him 10 years to get there. And that's very true when it comes to doing anything 
And this really comes down, in, and you're like, Lance, what does this have to do with investing? That's the whole point. This even is a function of what happens in investing. You're going to invest in the markets, and you're going to lose. The biggest problem is when you lose, then to start compounding that bad decision of losing by not getting back into the game, adjusting what you're doing, and getting you back on track. You're going to suffer losses in the markets. That is a function of investing. It's the same thing as running a business. You're going to lose sometimes. But there's some basic rules that if you follow that, you can survive the downturns, right? This is why you don't take very big one-sided bets. You don't go all in on shorting the market or going all in on a commodity trade, whatever it is, and you've got all your money or, or you're over-concentrated in one position because if something goes wrong, and it usually does at some point, you wind up losing too much capital and you're out of the game. Remember, small businesses, why do they go out of business? Lack of capital. But it's also important that when bad things happen, that you put actions in place to keep moving forward. And that's always the, that's the, the, the thing about success at anything is the ability to keep moving forward no matter what happens. Because we're all going to get tripped up every now and then. We're all going to run into these roadblocks. Look, I mean, it happens to me, happens to Brent, happens to everybody. The differential between those that succeed and those that fail is the ability to keep moving forward even when you don't want to. And this is a hard thing to teach kids, right? Especially when they're young. But it's the differential between what ultimately sets them up for success versus failure. And being truly great at something is just a function of how much commitment you're willing to put into it. So anyway, back to the movie. It was a good movie. It's worth watching. He deserved the award. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not subjective enough to, to really get into that. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, is that, you know, He's a, I like Will Smith. He's a good actor, mm -hmm. right? But, you know, I don't know how you determine if somebody's Academy Award worthy. I mean, I've seen a lot of good, I've seen a lot of people play really good roles that didn't win Academy yeah. Awards. And yeah. so how you get there, I don't know. But anyway. We'll have to get you on the list. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I'll slap somebody. <laughs> or at least kick them in the knee. One of the two. <laughs> so anyway, um, it's, it's, it's an interesting movie to watch. Um, so, wrapping up the show for the day. One of the things to be paying attention to right now, is, as we've kind of talked about this morning, is that this kind of overly driven media mantra about the recession, the over-concern about it, is don't let that impact your investing because again when the media is focused on something that's the one thing that tends not to happen the market has a really good habit of doing exactly the opposite of what the media is talking about most of the time so just pay attention to the data 
Pay attention to the markets. Manage your money accordingly. If you've got any questions, get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. That's realinvestmentadvice.com. And uh, we'll see you back here tomorrow for Technically Speaking Tuesday. We'll talk about the markets, where we are, and where we get to next from here. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Have a great day.